Welcome to Brand Slam, the Winning Brands podcast. This is episode six, Brand Reinvention with Samantha Lomo. Here are your hosts, Steve Rosa and Joe Kayata. And hello and welcome to Brand Slam. He is Adventures founder and CEO, Steve Rosa, and I am Joe Kayata. Today, we are talking about brand reinvention with a very special guest, Steve. Someone I've known for a long time, uh, whose work I've admired. It's going to be a fun one. Yep. She is Samantha Lomo. Her resume speaks for itself. It's quite impressive, whether it's 20 plus years at Hasbro, where she was the president of Branded Entertainment and led the company's portfolio of global brands. She also led the charge with multi-billion dollar entertainment franchises of G.I. Joe and Transformers. Samantha helped prove that toy companies could be entertainment franchises that we've all enjoyed for many years now. And that's not all. Samantha, also the chief customer officer at Foot Locker and is currently on the board at Claire's and is the founder and CEO of her newest endeavor, Playworks. We welcome Samantha Lomo to the show. And Samantha, I'm out of breath talking about all your accomplishments. Yeah, I, I've got to add, Joe, um, you know, you're new to the firm, but you know, when you were, you were a sportscaster yeah. covering the Olympics and all that stuff, our claim to fame was actually helping promote the movie premieres of uh, G.I. Joe, Transformers, Polar Express, and all these things. And that was it. Samantha, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. We really appreciate it. So first off, in this post-pandemic world, we see a lot of brands being forced to reinvent themselves. What are you seeing right now in the industry? I mean, I think brands in general today are you know, working harder than ever to stay relevant. It's so much harder to get your brand message out there just because there's so many platforms to communicate on. And it is really important that brands continue to experiment and listen. You know, brands are in a tough spot. Like, Brand, as you said, is emotional connection. It's feeling good. And people are kind of addicted to being uh, miserable right now in society. It's a lot of negativity everywhere. We're all on social media, echo chambers of venting and grumpiness. And we're recovering from the pandemic still. So you're Unless you're Taylor Swift, in which case like, you can do no wrong and everybody loves you and you feel good no matter what. I'm no Taylor Swift. We know Jay- Def- I'm definitely not. More Travis Kelsey, but yeah. So at Hasbro, you were part of, for two decades, contributing to the company growing in so many fabulous ways. So I started actually working for Hasbro in Canada right out of school. I worked there for a couple of years. I, I left. I spent a little time at two other, I'll call it toy entertainment companies. One was Bandai, which was a Japanese toy company, which had the Power Rangers brand at the time. So eventually that came full circle. And then I worked for Spin Master, uh, which was a Canadian toy company. Another one of the, at the time they were, they were just a startup, but now they're one of the biggest toy companies in the world. I ended up along the way, um, had an opportunity to go back to Hasbro. Now this was a few chapters ago in the company's history, so 2001. Um, but they asked me to come back to the U.S. and to headquarters, and it was a turnaround at the time. Um, I was working, you know, alongside Brian Goldner. He was the uh, kind of architect of the mm-hmm. the new blueprint, if you will. And we didn't have any hundred million dollar brands, let alone billion dollar brands. And so we really had to bring innovation back into the toy business, get the brands healthy again. And then that allowed us to sort of step out into storytelling. We did it with animation. And then eventually we got into movies and entertainment. And I can tell you the whole Transformers story if you want. But it was just a really exciting time. And I think a big part of it was changing mindsets because it really had been sort of a very manufacturer 
uh, base company. And to bring uh, everybody along on that journey took time, but once we did it, it was it opened up opportunities to take all the other brands into uh, broader uh, categories as well. You have to tell us, how does this toy company that's been a manufacturer for years now all of a sudden convince Hollywood and Hollywood luminaries like Michael Bay and Sir Anthony Hopkins and others to get on board with this? Please tell us, how did you make that happen? How did Hasbro make that happen? So we started by getting the brand healthy again. I mean, it was a brand from the 80s with Transformers. And, and actually, we started by focusing on one brand. So uh, Transformers being the, the brand at the time, we knew it had appeal to generations that grew up with it. But because it sort of had lost its way, you know, there was still this, I'd say, innate kind of demand for it, but it wasn't really being served. So we had to get the toy business healthy again, and that was really going back to its roots, so the original DNA of robots in disguise and making great product. And then we went to Japan, and we started to get the animation going again, to tell stories again and bring the characters back to life, to be able to get an, a new animated series out there so that kids could learn to love the characters again and be immersed in the world. So once we got that going, we were able to build the brand back up to roughly about 100 million at the time. And then we started to shop it to Hollywood. And we took it out. And I remember trying to tell our story to multiple producers. And we got a lot of passes. And then one day, you, know, you get that sort of make the impossible possible phone call. And we found out that Spielberg was interested. And he sort of felt like he could technology had caught up to where he could make it really real and believable so that a car transforming to a robot on the big screen would be um, believable, like I said. At the end of the day, you know, because he's such a great storyteller, uh, wanted to just make a story about a boy in his car. And so that was that first movie that back in 2007. So after that happened, uh, he tapped Michael Bay on the shoulder. And I remember going into the office on a Saturday in the summertime, and we had to put this whole presentation together to tell the story of the brand and give Michael Bay insight into the mythology, because he wasn't really wanting to do it. So we kind of had to convince him and get him excited. And he was really not very engaged until halfway through the meeting, we showed a little piece of footage. And then all of a sudden, he stood up and slammed his hand down, hand down and said, I can really make this work. I can do this. And that was it. And nice. from there, we sort of went on this rocket ship ride and started to have to learn uh, not only how to think about the brand more expansively, but also you know, how to work with Hollywood. And it, it taught me a lot about allowing others to help you develop your brand. And so it's learning to let go a little bit of certain things in order to help others contribute back to help you build the business. I always thought it was brilliant that Transformers could cross not just the industry line, but the generational line. Yeah, I mean, back then, so we didn't, we had to convince more than Hollywood. We had to convince our retailers, our partners, our, our uh, investors, even our own board and our own employees, because think back to, pre-2007, the technology wasn't really there. No one had really any seen, seen anything like it. It was before my, the first Iron Man movie, so toys had not been on the big screen yet. And as we were talking about it, we kept getting asked, uh, well, it's just a toy movie. 
we, it's animation. No, no, it's live action. You're going to see a real car transform onto the big screen, and uh, it'll be magical. And we had to actually get some footage sort of through the back door to be able to show it, because Michael Bay didn't want to show anything. He wanted to keep everything under wraps. But we had to really hint at what, what it was going to be, because it was really hard to convey in just a conversation. I think we're all about here on the brand slam, healthy brands, happy people. That's Steve's motto. For you, how important was it to get that brand right before you launched a multi-billion dollar movie franchise? It, that's everything, right? Really understanding your brand's DNA so that you know what you need to hold on to to stay true to your brand, but maybe even more importantly, what to let go of and what you can sort of throw away. And so for us, you know, there were elements of the mythology and the characters and that whole sort of double entendre of more than meets the eye that gave us a lot of room to grow and expand. But I think, you know, being able to tell a big story on the big screen and bring human heart, you know, into it and humor, you know, that was those were things that came from Hollywood that turned it into the franchise that it, that is today. All right, so we, we talked about Power Rangers, also Furby, right? Furby is a big one for Steve, too. Furby, absolutely. You want to know a funny story about Furby? Would love so, it. So uh, came out in 1998, and it was banned at the Pentagon, like literally banned at the Pentagon because they thought it was learning things. So <sighs> think about that in today's context of AI. Oh, TikTok. I mean, yeah, like that was the original Furby, and it's a true story. Oh my God, well, my my true story is, is I was the inspiration for a special edition Furby, that Furby, but it didn't sell because it never showed up. So go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay. I always kind of liked Furbaka. <laughs> There's a lot of good ones. We did that one too. Oh, I got to get one. You also those. were a part of the Power Rangers. If you had to pick a Power Ranger, which one were you? Oh, I got to pick the pink Power Ranger. Come on. But um, that's a brand that was always about teamwork and was always pretty diverse. And so, yeah, always pink Power Ranger for me. Speaking of characters, you actually have a Transformer named after you, inspired you by that. you. Looks, looks kind of like you, a lot like you. I did not know that that happened until after they had done that and put it in the show and it was airing the next week. So there wasn't really anything I could do about it. But working at the time, this was a long time ago because I don't think that we even allow, legal would never allow it. My friend Sam Register, who was at Cartoon Network and is now the head of Warner Brothers Animation, gave that to me as a Christmas present. <laughs> so this character's name is Slow-Mo, and uh, she is an evil character in the Transformers <laughs> universe, and she can slow down time, which I actually think is a superpower, by yes, the way. That's a complete yeah. superpower. So my personal yeah. life, I like to use that whenever I can. So you also worked on the E1 acquisition. Uh, E1, for people who don't know it, is the parent of my favorite girl, uh, Peppa Pig. Joe is a Megan Fox guy. He's a, he, only brought, he only brought you here to, uh, to try to get to her. But uh, me, I dig the pig. I love Peppa Pig. So can you tell us about that? Some muddy puddles in your, in your world. <laughs> Holidays and muddy puddles. Yeah, I mean, that was an acquisition the company did, and, and they, uh, the, the portfolio expanded to include brands like 
Peppa Pig and PJ Masks, which really helped with the preschool business. It's interesting to see how much the toy industry has really evolved to converge with entertainment. You see it everywhere. I mean, look at the Summer's Barbie movie, which was a phenomenon. And everyone got to enjoy, you know, I think a little bit of Barbie this summer, which I think we all needed. Um, but, you know, that would probably wouldn't have happened if we hadn't, I mean, at some point, you know, opened up the, the toy sort of to, to big screen, toy to entertainment opportunity way back when. In that, that cross promotion, like now, it probably started back then with that, but that's bigger than ever because you probably make, a lot of these people, they make more money off of the actual selling the merchandise than you do off like, say, the Taylor Swift, the actual concerts. She makes more money off all the other stuff. So for you guys as well, you probably made a lot of money off the actual sales of the Furbies, the Power Rangers, all those toys. Well, Disney is, you know, the the originator of mm -hmm. that concept. And we did a lot of work with them over the years with Star Wars and Marvel and uh, we did worked with them on Disney Princess and Frozen and learned a lot about how you think about the entertainment side and how that expands into merchandising. I'm always fascinated by how you get people that the, the transition, a merger, something else, right? I mean, I've always grown, I, mean, I grew up in a creative environment, right? Being in the toy business, being in, you know, the sneaker industry, being, you know, working with, um, with my new, you know, endeavor with Playworks. Like it is all about, to me, connecting around creativity. And what I love about your background, it's about play, right? It's like creativity is a, is a form of play. I always tell young professionals that are feeling a little roadblocked in, you know, in our industry. And I'm like, grab a kid that, you know, a niece, a nephew, a friend's child, spend some time just watching them. That's pure imagination. Yeah, I sort of think, you know, I spent my career in, a, in that kind of environment. And um, a lot of what I learned about leadership and leading change kind of came from play. So you think about a toy as the ultimate expression of creativity and it, the whole goal is to spark creativity in the end user. But to do that, you, you learn to spark creativity in your colleagues. During your time at Hasbro, you guys were really good at building new business, the girls' business, growing strategic partnerships with Walt Disney, which was a multi-billion dollar partnership. Can you talk about how you got that accomplished? Yeah, I mean, I, I really believe that great partnerships can help you grow. And if you look back in the history, you know, toy history, Hasbro was always the boys' toy company. So they had Kenner, you know, and the Kenner had the Star Wars license and all the action figure brands. And Mattel was always the girls' company. Okay, these are dated terms, but, you know, with all the doll business with Barbie. And you know, if you looked at it that way, you could say that we were Hasbro was missing 50% of the market at the time. So we started strategically to build up the girls' business with brands like My Little Pony and Littlest Pet Shop. And uh, we got the girls' portfolio to a billion dollars, which was pretty amazing for the company at the time. We had the opportunity to pitch for the Disney Princess and Frozen licenses. Of course, we already had a relationship through Star Wars and Marvel um, with the Walt Disney Company. And um, at the time, you know, we were working, bidding against a competitor, which was Mattel. At the time, they had the license. And we, they maybe hadn't paid as much attention to it, and, and we won the business. Now, in the Toy Wars land, they've since won it back. So, you know, the things do sort of get passed back and forth. But at the time, it was a pretty exciting uh, moment in history because it, it gave us access to a market that we just hadn't been in before. 
we have all the sports memorabilia behind us, but really it's, you know, as soon as you leave, it flips back over to our uh, My Little Pony. We're bronies. Good. We are bronies. Okay. bronies. Huge bronies. Yeah. yeah. And you were part of a cultural movement then. Yeah, no. They, <laughs> Steve led that cultural movement. <laughs> I was that cultural movement. Uh, no, with, with uh, two daughters, yes, I've had my experiences with My Little Pony. It's a footlocker. Challenges, retail, everybody hurting in retail, G.I. Joe or Barbie, where people may be loyal to throughout their life. Uh, you know, fashions turn on a dime. Give us some feedback on yeah. that. Yeah. Well, so, you know, that was an opportunity for me to go to the retail side of the business. I hadn't been in a footlocker in, I have to say, like 15 plus years. I don't know if you have, but at that time, I really hadn't. And when I looked at the opportunity, I thought, well, this is really interesting because it's a, it was sort of a, a brand that had been sort of off the radar, but had decades of you know, resonance. We're in the middle of the pandemic and everyone is looking for comfort. People are starting to wear sneakers for almost any occasion. My daughters, you know, get dressed in their out dresses and they're wearing sneakers. I mean, everyone on the street, you, you would start to see, you were seeing business people wearing sneakers. And I thought, this is a really unique opportunity to help really reinvent a brand. And at the time, they had just been sort of told by Nike that Nike was pulling back supply. So they were going through a big transformation themselves. And it was an opportunity for me to go there and, and help lead uh, some of that effort. You have these mega brands, Nike, you have uh, Adidas, Adidas. How does a brand like Foot Locker boost up these emerging brands, your, you know, your Hoka's, your others that, you know, your Ons, uh, your other things. How do you pull, build them up to survive? Well, that's just it. And I think that was some of the shifts that they were making at the time to, because they sold every sneaker brand and it was really just a matter of shifting to continue to build up the demand around those other brands. And I think they're still on that path today. Uh, but it was really, it was a lot of fun and I really learned a ton. Um, Retail is definitely on the operational side. It was very, you know, executional. So it, you know, it's a little bit different than maybe being on the consumer product side. But one fun thing was when I was there, you know, we were going through this transformation and I kind of like, you know, kind of harkening back to my play days, kept feeling like I need to, maybe there's a way to infuse some of the benefits of play to help maybe bring out some more creativity and ideation as we're thinking about, you know, how do we go to change the way that we're going to market with, with more brands, you know, than just like the top three. Absolutely. It all, all great transformations start on the inside and work their way out. So with you starting on the inside, um, getting everybody to play nice together and to play together and create together is was a wonderful thing. You mentioned Playworks. Uh, we mentioned it a couple times throughout this. What is Playworks? It's my company, for one, which is really cool to build a brand for yourself for once because I've been building brands for everybody else for a long time. And it is really a way to help leaders and organizations, mostly outside the toy industry, realize ambitious goals th through play. How do you do that? Think about it as like, I call it uh, the toy box for business. Mm -hmm. And inside the toy box for business are a lot of really fun activities that I use with companies, depending on the objective that they have, to bring people together to help develop a conversation around what it takes to make change happen and make it possible. And to get everybody almost on a level playing field so that you feel comfortable to contribute. I think getting outside the boardroom and putting everyone in a slightly different environment helps do that.
the world needs a safe space. Uh, probably, you know, no greater need for a safe space than in the C-suite today, because everyone's under barrage of some sort of uh, angry consumerism or something else. So. Yeah. Well, what I found is that when I when I do these activities with companies, it sort of de-risks the room, because the minute you introduce an element of make believe. Everybody feels comfortable sharing because there's the stakes are a lot lower. So, for example, um, I was working with a new president at Kenneth Cole. He was just taking over the reins, and he wanted to sort of set the tone of inclusivity and kind of get a sense for what everybody was thinking about in terms of business priorities. And so we, you know, engage in a little play activity, and I think within an hour, he was able to really hear from his team what was on their mind, which maybe if you know, he'd gone around to do one-on-ones and sat down in meeting rooms, it would have taken maybe a lot longer and maybe not even gotten the glimpses of inspiration and sparks going that we were able to create. Been around for a little while now in the toy industry, ebbs and flows, right? And I think there are periods where people forget uh, eras where people forget how to play and they need the script or they need the spark or they need that one thing to get their going, right? You know, um, I always talk about Legos, right? How Legos, when in my era, was you just bought the blocks and you used your imagination to create whatever you wanted. And then all of a sudden there was a shift and, you know, Legos didn't sell the, in the value per piece increased dramatically when they gave you a Star Wars theme and a storyline to follow in building it. So Well, we, we work a lot around the concepts of mission, vision, values, and purpose. And I call them the fundamentals. Oh, nice. I no like pun that on fun. Yeah. Uh, but the reason is, you know, I think a lot of times companies put those narratives up on a slide and they never get talked about again. And especially when you're going through change inside companies, it's really important to communicate what's not changing, and that's where values come in, um, but also to engage the organization in helping think about you know, what it takes to make change, whether you know, big changes require small changes you know, at the end of the day. Oh, it's like every lobby of every corporation had a dusty old plaque with, this is our mission statement, but right. no one ever knew, you know, you'd ask them on the street, what's your mission? No one would know it. So it's, it's living it every day and making it fun. And that's what I love about your work. You're making it unthreatening to be vulnerable. Little vulnerability can go a Requires. long way in, in branding. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think revisiting some of those things, but it does require vulnerability and you know, if, if the leaders aren't willing to kind of embrace that level of vulnerability, then it's, it's probably not worth going through it. And Samantha, your newest endeavor is Tupperware. Yeah, so I'm doing some work right now with Tupperware, which is uh, another iconic brand. And this is a cool one because it it's been around for 77 years. Most people don't realize it's still around and it's about a billion dollar global business still today. And, you know, as I kind of, at first I thought, oh, well, this is, you know, kind of just plastic bowls. But then I realized, no, it's actually so much more than that. The company was founded uh, on the whole promise of, of the elimination of food waste, sort of the original brand for that. And then they really pioneered social selling because you think about Tupperware parties, right, back in the day. And yeah. that's what that was all about. And 
enabling uh, women to create, get, have income at a time when a lot of women uh, worked in the home. So I'm pretty excited about the work because I, I sort of feel like it's maybe just another one of those brands that's been a little more on the dormant side, and we have an opportunity to really reinvigorate it. You, you get it. You, you, are, you are a joy to work with because you absolutely get it. We have a lot of uncomfortable conversations with C-suites, bringing them back to the roots of the origins of the company and the original purpose. And, and almost always there's a reason, no matter how much they've transformed, there was a noble purpose to that brand, that organization's existence. And you know it and you help them find it. We help them find it. Um, and you just... You know, it's a great place to start, but you have to modernize it too, That's right? It. Tupperware, like I grew up with the burping bowls, That's you know, it. where yeah. you do it, and but now people are buying glass because they're That's scared right. of plastic. Uh, so you have to, you know, keep the soul, but bring That's in right. the innovation. It's so important, and I think you know, unlocking value, long-term value for companies, um, it requires being able to go back to those original roots and seeing. You know, what is the modernized opportunity, a way that you can bring those brands back to life or make them relevant again? Steve and I were actually, for research, we were going on the website and looking at the different yeah. products. And we were so impressed with how you guys have really changed with the times. They've got some really amazing, innovative products that can do almost everything for you. And all you have to do is press a button. So that's been really fun to check out. And then I do think... With today's economy, people are feeling you know, more price conscious. They want to, and I'm seeing from a trend perspective, they're willing to spend a little bit more in order to get quality and you know, to preserve food a little longer, that they'd be willing to make those investments. And I think that is really great. Yeah, no, I, I'm really excited for you. I just think a lot, there's a values shift happening and it's good in some ways. So it's like, what is the, what is the next generation for this generation that's been in lockdown because of COVID? What is their fun Tupperware party? You know, it's like, you yeah. know, it's a, is it a Tupperware rave? You know, there's, there's something there. I don't know. Maybe we there. should yes. like experiment. Like, yeah. Let's reinvent the party, Steve. Come on. Have a stall session, need Steve. To here. We, I need we, to we do something here. I need to do something. I need to bring back I Tupperware. I mean, Super Bowl's around the corner. You know, yeah, we, can, we can get going. The uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, well, thank you for letting us have some play time. Yes. Guess what, Steve? Guess what, Joe? I'm not sure. Well, that does it for this episode of Brand Slam Podcast called Brand Reinvention. Thank you to Samantha Lomo for joining the show. We appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Oh, great. We enjoyed it, too. Just remember, get us Megan Fox and Peppa Pig in the studio, and we'll be thrilled. In Tupperware parties. In Tupperware right. parties. For more information on the show, you can visit adventures.com. That's Adventures with two Ds. For Steve Rosa, I'm Joe Kayata. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. For this episode of the Brand Slam podcast, Adventures is supporting Sojourner House. For the 11th straight season, our Ad Love philanthropic program is making a donation to the Sojourner House, whose mission is to provide support, advocacy, housing, and education for victims and survivors of domestic violence, sexual assault, and human trafficking. Please join Ad Love in supporting Sojourner House at www.sojourner.com. RI.gov.